I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. And we're coming to you from the Kodo of the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharma Realm Podcast for October 4th, 2013, and today we are talking about Shin Buddhism and social justice. Uh, so one of the things that uh, people are really interested in, particularly in um, uh, the United States or the, or the West, is this idea of social justice, and sometimes it's called engaged Buddhism. Um, and uh, I think that there's this, uh, this sense outside of the BCA and outside of the Jodo Shinshu community uh, in the United States, that we're sort of not part of that, that we don't have, that we're sort of quiet on some social justice issues or issues about race here in America. Um, so we've gotten some questions on that, and we're going to um, address some of that today. Um, but I think uh, a couple of things we want to sort of uh, explore are some of the historical uh, historical aspects of Jodo Shinshu, both in um, America, but also in Japan, and how that relates to this, these questions. Um, but also um, some what might be called like a doctrinal perspective. Um, uh, and so, uh, yeah, we'll see where we go. Yep. So you had some thoughts about some uh, uh, some fancy Japanese words that I cannot remember now. <laughs> See, I'm the one forgetting all the words today. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that uh, to me, part of Jodo Shinshu is um, this idea of it's kind of a radical equality. And it could be other kinds of Buddhism too, but um, specifically from the point of view of Shin Buddhism. Um, one of the names for Amida Buddha is Byodo Gaku, um, which is Kaku is awakening or enlightenment, and Byodo is equality. Uh, and so uh, the awakening of the Buddha is to this reality of uh, absolute equality, non discrimination. Right? And well, one of the problems is a lot of the words that we use are charged words, yeah, right? So yeah. discrimination means a lot of things, and it can mean a lot of different things to different people. Right. I, I already am. I'm wondering what you mean by uh, equality and, and right. uh, you know, uh, uh, equality of enlightenment and, mm-hmm. and who's getting enlightenment and all that kind of thing. Yeah, right. so. so I think this idea, one aspect of this idea is this idea that uh, <clears throat> from the point of view of awakening, all things are the same. Mm-hmm empty of inherent existence, right? uh, light. Uh, and so um, Buddha's, it's not discriminating between this or that, right? not discriminating between good and bad, like and dislike. Right? And so one aspect of Buddha's awakening is that um, Buddha awakens to realizing that um, all things partake of the same bliss, the same awakening, the same enlightenment, uh, same emptiness. Right? And so uh, that idea of byodo gaku is is from the, that Buddha has that view. Buddha doesn't discriminate, and so on a more social level, on a more like day to day level, there's um, ideas of um, Buddha doesn't discriminate between the young and the old, between the wise and the foolish, between men and women. Um, these terms that uh, Shinshu uses, whether it's Shinran or Renyo, uh, that that Buddha accepts everyone, 
right? Buddha's light uh, is pervades throughout, it is Amida Buddha, right? His light pervades throughout the ten directions, unimpeded, right? And uh, there's nowhere it does not reach, right? So this uh, interesting idea of um, Buddha seeing things as equal, right? But then also for us, that um, I don't have to feel like because I'm not a certain way or because I'm a, um, born into a certain caste or something that I'm not accepted, right? That, that um, Amida Buddha accepts everyone, so I feel like Jodo Shinshu has this aspect of this kind of radical equality, uh, where it's not only for a certain group of people, it's not only for a certain race or a certain nationality. Um, sometimes you hear little ideas of that, but um, I think ultimately no way, right? It's totally open to anyone. Um, there's another place where uh, in our chanting at the end, when we do the uh, echo at the end, and it's Ganishi Kudoku Byodo Seisai Dohotsu Bodaishin Ojo Anakok. So Ganishi Kudoku vow that this, the merit generated, Byodo um, Seisai, is shared, given equally to everyone. Right? So even in that chanting, there's an idea of. Um, this isn't just for my family, this isn't just for me, this isn't just for my tribe, right? This should be shared with everyone. Uh, and so I, I really feel like um, Shinshu has this, um, <clears throat> this element. And then we can look, and in the writings of Shinran, Shinran's writing in medieval Japan, and uh, there's sections where he talks about, um, this is to know that um, the lowly people such as we, um, such as hunters and peddlers, Right, uh, are grasped by the Buddha, and we're transformed. Right, so this is a pretty radical idea because at that time, it's uh, the the established religion, the established schools of Nara and Shingon and Tendai are um, very elite and uh, very much at top level, administering or, or ministering to the elite classes, not to everyday people. Uh, and so the Pure Land movement, uh, part of that seems to have been an acknowledgement of this equality and that it's not only for certain people. Um, that, and Honen was similar. Right? Honen also is said to have ministered not only to um, elite uh, uh, aristocrats, aristocrats um, or people in power, but also to uh, prostitutes and mm -hmm. warriors and people that normally were not embraced by the Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I suddenly have like a thousand ideas that I want to talk about. Oh, good. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, my job. <clears throat> but I don't want to lose sight of some of this historical. Uh, I think this idea of, uh, from the Buddha's point of view, is really helpful and profound, but also has, I think, really interesting implications on the way that people talk about Buddhism or practice Buddhism in other contexts. But I, 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 I'm going to come back to that. Um, because I think it's uh, this, this, what you're talking about, about Shinran and Honen is important to sort of remember the historical context in which some of these ideas are, are put out. You know, uh, Shinran talking to hunters and uh, peddlers, I think is that I love phrases like hunters and peddlers. <laughs> it reminds us that, you know, you know, who would the hunters and peddlers be in our society today, right? Mm -hmm. Like how, you know, we don't generally think of those people as being, uh, you know, burdened with horrible karma or somehow polluted in the same way or um, uh, defiled or whatever in the same way that we, I, I think that arguably that's what they thought in um, Shinran's day. Mm -hmm. um, so then the question is um, from the point of view of, of us here in the present and 
ministering, I guess, for lack of a better word, to people both within Shin communities and outside of Shin communities? Who would those people be that we would sort of not want to, you know, be with? And it's like, well, Shin Buddhism says those are the people that we absolutely should be talking to. Mm-hmm. So that's like a question, right? Like, mm-hmm. who who are those those people that we would consider uh, outcasts? Right, right. And um, that's Shinran's time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and you know, Honen is interesting too. If for more background, Honen is creating this radical religion, right? This Pure Land school. Uh, and I mean, he's not creating it out of nothing, right? Yeah, he has a lot yeah, of yeah. precedents, but to create a new school um, was a big deal, and he's strongly criticized for it by the established schools. That's an understatement, right? And um, <laughs> that's one of their main criticisms, right? Who is this guy who thinks he can establish his own school? Right, right. Uh, and so they run into problems too, right? And so you have this one side of this radical new Buddhism that's bringing Buddhism to the masses, and then running up into trouble Mm -hmm. uh, to the point where uh, the government comes down on them, and the emperor comes down on them, and the other schools come down on them. Uh, Shihonen, Shinran, others are exiled, right? They're eventually let back, but um, the Pure Land movement has this very... um, Sort of sets up an an antagonism between the school and uh, the established authority both yeah. religious and, and imperial, I guess you could say, yeah. at the time. That, that you know, that antagonism between, Shinshu, uh, you know, Shinshu communities or, or institutions and uh, the, the government of Japan, I think, is a, a constant. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> I mean, not a constant in terms of, like, they're always antagonistic, but that, that relationship is, uh, they go back and forth. Early on, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Through Tokugawa period. Uh-huh. I mean, that's interesting, too. Yeah. So Renyo has issues, too. Yeah. Renyo... Yeah. Makes it even bigger and reminds really, us of the dates of your now, um, like 15th century, <laughs> yeah, 1400s. Uh-huh. Um, so Renyo is another one who uh, is growing the school, uh, and then after Renyo, you know, the um, real issues of um, uh, conflict with other powers that be, mm-hmm. and Japan at this point in the you know 1500s is like warring, like chaos, and um, different warriors vying for power, and um, eventually you end up with Nobunaga and Hideyoshi, and um, I can never remember all their names. We have a little Japanese lesson there. Yeah, Um, but it's important because Shinshu was one of the forces fighting against the warriors, Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're the last ones to hold out. Right? And the Ikoiki, there's all these like peasant, quote-unquote, peasant rebellions. There's a great new book um, that looks at this and says it's not even really necessarily peasants. It's A lot of it is merchants and mm-hmm. higher status people mm-hmm. than absolute peasants, um, but that they weren't part of the established warrior or aristocrat or priest kind of um, hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of carving out their own power base. And so you have like the, the movements of history going on here with Shinshu as a major player. Um, maybe the significant thing, though, is that around 1600, when finally there's peace, all the Buddhists just get co-opted into the system, and the temples become the, the registrars. And the temples, every Japanese person has to be the member of a Buddhist temple, and your family records are kept by your local Buddhist temple, and you're not allowed to move around. 
So really interesting where it flips around and going from this radical uh, movement uh, uh, against the powers that be to becoming one of the arms of the powers that be. Yeah. That's one of the realities of Japanese Buddhism uh, in the 1600s. And so right. the Tokugawa period from 1600 to 18, whatever, uh, 1868 or around there. Around there. That's Buddhism. Has, I mean, they still are thinking and they're still much more creative than they're given credit right. for. Um, but there's not that, they're not even allowed to debate each other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, there's strict governmental controls um, for like almost 300 years. Right. And then look at what happens in late 19th, <clears throat> early 20th century. The government tries to stamp out Buddhism, kill the Buddha, destroy Buddhism. Right? They have this whole movement. Buddhism is against the state. Shinto, the emperor, right? That's the good religion. Buddhism, bad. And so finally, Buddhists realize we have to co opt into this system again. So they buy into it, and they're like, no, 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 we totally support the state. We totally support the emperor. And they end up being the front lines in the militarist and culturalist expansion into Asia. It's horrible. I mean, so, so it's, Buddhism is just like any, I mean, in a lot of ways, Buddhism is just like any other religion. It can be co-opted. Sure. It sure. can be um, used and exploited to ex use and exploit others. Mm-hmm. And the Buddhist priests, unfortunately, become the forefront, and they're the educators, and the temples are used to educate or re-educate um, other Asian populations, especially Korea, China. Sure, but not, I mean, not, not exclusively. I mean, it's not, all, it's not all our fault, man. Come on. No, no, no. <laughs> but I mean, that's one example. And so um, not so much Shinshu, but the Zen stuff has been, um, by Brian Victoria, has yeah, been... Yeah. Documented Zen at war, and you know, looking sure. at how Zen allowed itself to be co-opted into the the um, system. I can't be too judgmental. I don't know what I would have done if, had I been there. Would I choose imprisonment and near absolute death? Mm -hmm. I'm given a choice. A lot of people did. Mm, I don't know if a lot did. Well, that's enough. one of the issues. That's where anyway. Brian, Brian Victoria kind of points that like. Only Nietzschean people really did that. Oh no, that's no. not true. No. Okay. There's other research, but that's okay. I think I think I think we're we're veering off. Okay. <laughs> Reel me in. Well, I mean, I think this is all very important. Just uh, you know, you you said this is the the Shinshu and Buddhism is just like any other religion, and that's important to remember that there's this sort of uh, idealized doctrinal I idea of equality, but then there's the reality of ordinary people who run the institutions who. Uh, interpret things or reinterpret things or represent things in certain ways to their own benefit. Um, I think that, um, as we were saying before we started recording about this idea that, you know, Buddhism should somehow be different or immune from that, that Buddhism, I think we have this idealized idea in our head, an idealized idea, that's profound. Um, this uh, idea in our heads that um, Buddhism is somehow immune, that, you know, in some sort of perfect sense, Buddhism is uh, uh, beyond these... Uh, political, mundane, worldly things. Um, and, you know, maybe it should be. That's another question. The reality is is that it, it rarely has been and that um, Buddhist institutions are very much um, uh, constructed in, the, in, in relationship to their cultural historical contexts. Right. Right. Which brings me to the United States because I think that's what... Um, you know that's that's our context, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, there are probably people listening to us from other parts of the world, but um, most of our <laughs> conversations are about what's happening in the U.S. And I think it's important to understand that that context is really different. Mm -hmm. um, you know, regardless of any sort of antagonism that the Jodo Shinshu institutions had toward different governments within Japan. Um, 
you know, the the Buddhist institutions in America have never had a relationship with the U.S. government um, in the same way um, wait, wait, wait. because the U.S. government has been uh, either ignoring of or openly hostile toward the people who represent Buddhism in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to recognize that history. Um, so obviously I'm referring specifically to the Japanese-American experience and internment, mm-hmm. um, a very different experience. Mm-hmm. Um Buddhist priests, Japanese Buddhist priests were the enemy. Yeah. And they were often specifically rounded up by the FBI and right. kept in separate camps. Yeah. Culture, like leaders, leaders of Japanese community American leaders, society, yeah. community yeah. leaders, and <clears throat> priests were, or ministers were mm-hmm. part of that. Right. So, yeah. 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 Um, it's, and, you know, and it's, it's the, the internment of Japanese Americans, of course, was, you know, World War II, early 1940s. And um, I think that there's this tendency to think that, you know, oh, that happened a long time ago, or that's not, um, that's not relevant today. Um, and I think that that's not, uh, that's an incorrect view. Um, right, right. You know, I think that that experience really fundamentally and in a very profound way shaped how uh, two or three generations of Japanese Americans felt about being Japanese American, felt about their religion, felt about how their religion fit into American culture, um, that has a that leaves a legacy, right? That even if you were born 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, you're still, you, you've inherited that legacy of that experience. Um, it's something that comes up mm-hmm. continually within the community. So it's not something that we've just sort of, you know, it's like, oh, that happened a long time ago, let's forget about it. Um, and, you know, uh, earlier this summer, uh, last, this, this past summer, I was doing some research on uh, BCA history and did this survey and asked people to fill it out. And I asked, you know, questions about where people were, um, you know, how old people are, gender, age, whatever else. And one question was, where were you born? And one of the responses I got to the question of where you were born, um, I gave a choice of, you know, U.S., Canada, Japan, other. Somebody said other and then wrote in Manzanar. Whoa. <laughs> um, and then I think in parentheses, USA, I guess, or something like that. Wow. Um, which is, you know, I think that's profound. Like, that, that's yeah. a profound statement. It's like, here's somebody who was born in an internment camp, and they don't consider that to be part of America, right? Mm-hmm. So Because they weren't allowed to be American. They weren't allowed to be American. Yeah. And so this is not something that just sort of happened uh, ages, ago. ages ago and has no impact on us today. Like, this is still a part of our community. Yeah. And we, to, and we need to, we just need to acknowledge that, not be constrained by it or bound by it or mm-hmm. let that get in the way of progress or moving forward, but just acknowledging it and, and recognizing that that's, that's a part of this community. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, part of, it's a part of American history. It's part of, yeah. it's not just the Japanese American experience. You know, this happened, we did that mm-hmm. as a country, we allowed that to happen. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an important thing to acknowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just watched this movie, Farewell to Manzanar. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> speaking of Manzanar, and it's from 1976, I think. It was a tea made-for-TV movie. <laughs> I'd never heard of it. I never saw it when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, but uh, has been kind of played sporadically on television in the intervening 30, 40 years. Um, and then it finally came out on DVD like last year, huh. the Japanese-American History Society or whatever, Historical Society or Japanese American Museum, um, got the rights finally and put it out. So it has Pat Marina and has these other people in it. Um, but pretty interesting. And yeah. you think about, wow, this was on TV in 1976. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> a lot of people weren't ready for it. Uh-huh. You know, and a lot of people, I think, I, you still hear people defending the camps. They had to be put in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I just watched a show. Um, there were, like, American Nazi Party 
people on the East Coast. None of oh, them yeah. were put in camps, oh, yeah. right? It's like, how come an entire race, the Japanese were all put in camps, but Germans weren't put in camps, right? It's like, it's just not fair, dude. <laughs> it's mind Right, this is it's one like, of the arguments on. people make, is people will say, you know, oh, no, that's not true. Some Germans were rounded up. And it's like, no. yes, some Germans were rounded up. Some. Yeah. And those are people who were actually, you know, accused of actual crimes put on trial. Um, Every Japanese American person, old old people, young people, children, so on and so forth, they were put in camps. So it's a little bit different. (laughs) Um, And, you know, this is part of the context out of which Jodo Shinshu grows in this country. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, there's this, as we started the episode, I was saying that there's this tendency to think that Jodo Shinshu doesn't have anything to, um, doesn't speak out a lot um, in in, uh, sort of popular American media or even Buddhist media contexts. Um, and, you know, if we look at this history, there's another Japanese phrase about um, the nail that stands up too high, gets pounded in harder. Hammered down. Yeah, <laughs> hammered down, which was, uh, you know, that sense grew out of the camps where the first and second generation Japanese Americans were like, hey, we tried to be ourselves and we got rounded up and put in prison. Mm-hmm. So we're going to instill in our children this sense of, you know, be good, um, blend in, mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm. stand out. Um, and so that that's part of the culture too, mm-hmm. right? That's part of what was going on in the 50s and you know the very early right. 60s. And then by the time you get to the late 60s, things start to change. But I think by then, you know, everything is changing and it's, it's, it's a, you know, again, a different sort of context in, mm-hmm. um, and, and public Buddhist discourse for lack of a better word. Um, and we need to acknowledge all of that in order to understand why things are the way they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I also, you know, it's, it's easy to sort of say, oh, well, you know, uh, Jodo Shinshu doesn't really have a, a big public voice. But at the same time, I kind of feel like nobody listens to us when we try to. You know, mm-hmm. it's like um, if you look at the, the big Buddhist, uh, Buddhist magazines out there, it's like Tricycle or Shambhala Sun. And it's like most of their articles are focused on things that um, we're just not they're just not asking us questions or they're not inviting us to speak or the topics that they're writing about are things that um, really are of fundamental concern for Shin Buddhism or something. There's something that's missing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like there's these two different conversations going on and it's not like, you know, we're not trying to say things, but it's just like people are either not listening to us or silencing us or whatever. And I think that's part of the context too. Um, because, you know, I've certainly, you know, within our community, it's, it's obvious, you know, it's like, there's, there's, um, plenty of times when people have made political statements or, or statements about, um, social issues that are going on, but it's not like, you know, those conversations that happen within the wheel of Dharma or internal conversations get, you know, it's like there's a press release and, CNN comes knocking on our door, right, right, right. you know, so it's, it's tricky. But in a way, we haven't really learned how to play the game either. That's very true. Right? I mean, so there's also this dynamic, I think, in BCA of um, administering to the flock, right? I mean, <laughs> or, or tending our flock, right? It's very internally pointing organization. We have issues within the temple yeah. that sometimes seem insurmountable and just these difficulties of funding and everything. It's like we're dealing with our own issues. Right, like I was saying, there's there's conversations that we're having that just aren't really germane to a wide stream audience. And and we haven't been playing the game. Like institutionally, I think that the BCA has been slow to jump on, you know, social media kinds of things. I think you and I are probably the most hip out there. Hey. And we suck at this. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I 
use my Twitter account like once every three months or something. <laughs> and we're like on cutting edge. Every day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, it's right. like, uh, right. but you right. know, I, it's a big deal when BCA puts a like. Actually, they have made some statements like on Burma. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And you know, um, certain issues. But what we do is we put it on our website. Right. That's it. No, nobody looks at our website, right? <laughs> yeah, we're. I'm going to put a link to our website. Okay, people should go check it out. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's there's actually stuff in there. There's stuff there's, on it's there. A, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> One another interesting thing is there's an idea. Um, so there's Buddhist ideas going on, Shin ideas, Japanese ideas. Or, or concepts or, or attitudes reflected, and you know, I think we can see um, one of the ideas is gaman or gaman, right? There's even a book, The Art of Gaman, of like the, the artworks that um, people in the camps did. They did mm. some amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, and it, it was written by, um, connected with the Lodi Temple where I was, and a lot of the original art is in there. Um, gaman is this idea of persevering, right? Shikata ganai is connected to this other idea, or shoganai, that nothing can be done. Just come on, just persevere. Mm-hmm. Put your nose to the grindstone and just deal with it, right? Get by. Um, and that can be read pa- as a very passive kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. put it in the context of you're in an armed, you're in a camp, right. you're in a prison camp basically with armed guards and towers watching you 24 7. Surrounded by barbed wire. Right? Surrounded by barbed wire. Even if you could get out beyond, you're it's in the a, of a desert. desert. <laughs> right? So. What else could you do? Yeah, and you know, and actually, there like, were a lot of people yeah. that didn't just gamma right, right, in right. the camps. There was a lot of um, real, you know, um, dissent. Yeah, dissent and activism and trying to, to um, make a change. And what could you do? <laughs> there was, right, right. you know, so so that and, and the consequences of that are pretty big. And again, yeah. it's not just that. You know, it's not like you're a 22 year old college student with no family or anything. A lot of these people were, you know, fathers and mothers and children. It's like. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight against the U.S. government and what's gonna happen, not just to me, but to my entire family. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big deal, yeah. you know. And there were so, riots yeah. in the camps that we don't really hear about that much, and right. um, not all of them, but some had, you know, like um, they, I think each camp had a kind of different character too, mm-hmm. um, and they put certain people, like so Tule Lake, yeah, I guess had, yeah, um, yeah. you know, people say they put the quote unquote troublemakers in there, right? right? So it's like they had different camps, had different populations geographically, but also different populations based on. Um, how they were perceived by the government, right? So, so that's really interesting. Um, there's another interesting Shinshu idea. Um, so, so I think that, well, we kind of have to wrap this one up. But, um, <laughs> but we have more ideas. We have more, way more ideas. Um, so don't go away. <laughs> but wrap it up. <laughs> I think Shin Buddhism has, I'll just recapitulate what I said at the beginning. I believe that Shin Buddhism has ideas of radical equality uh, and holds those up as the ideal. And um, I think that's what really grabs people, some people. Mm-hmm. They, they see that and it's just like, yeah, Shinran's amazing. Right? And for Shinran to be doing that in the cult, his, his cultural circumstances is amazing. Right? And had a profound impact on Japan. I mean, a lot of times Japan is viewed as um, the people are just um, sheep under the government, and you know everyone's the same, and it's very heterogeneous, and you don't get a lot of social grassroots movements. But no way, there's social yeah. grass movements all the time. The government's just very skillful at repressing <laughs> them, right? And that's been in the '70s or the '60s. Now with the Fukushima nuclear reactor, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, 
Meiji period. There's, there's always been social movements. And Shinran's time is one of those times. And Shinran was one of those people, right, um, who was not just, just okay, nothing we can do. We'll just, you know, no, it. he's preaching this radical yeah. Buddhism of you don't need to just, you know, you're not, you don't have to be excluded by Buddha, Buddha right? Buddha totally yeah. accepts you as you are. Um, and so uh, there's definitely a history of this. Um, but at the same time, there's a text that we recite, not here so much, but if you become a minister, you have to recite it in the presence of the monshu, the ryogemon, which is a kind of creed, maybe sometimes it's translated as Jodo Shinshu creed. And at the very end, it's like, it's a state, strong statement of Jodo Shinshu doctrine, I will not perform miscellaneous practices, I will single-mindedly take refuge in Amida Buddha. Um, and then near the end, it's like, and I will, um, follow what the monshus say, what the, I mean, it doesn't say it literally, <laughs> but it's like what the, the chiefs of our yeah, school yeah, say, yeah. I will um, sort of a, allegiance follow to that, yeah, allegiance the, um, to that, and I will follow the rules of society. Right. It's kind of the end. So it's in there, you know, and you can read that in different ways. Is yeah. that what they really wanted, or is that kind of lip service so that a government comes in and says, what are you people doing? No, 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 we're following the rules of society. It could right. have a subversive side to it, too. Right, right. Um, but... There's that, that's always part it's a tension. of the plan. Yeah, it's yeah, a tension, tension yeah, a balance there. I'm <laughs> sorry.